You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, Caitlin, Patrick, it is a Friday afternoon happy hour edition of The Beltway (laughs) Briefing. We've got our cocktails and we're ready to go. I, I hope that's legal. Patrick, let's start with um, this. There is, it's been quite a week on the Republican side, and it's going to be quite a week next week on all sides. We've got impeachment coming up next week. We have had a vote over the future of Liz Cheney keeping her leadership role in the House Republican caucus, and we had a Democratic vote to strip Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman from Georgia, of her committee assignments in the House. Break that down for us. There's there's a lot of dysfunction out there. Do we think that the Republican conference is a splintered conference? And is this all actionable in some way? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and look, I mean, there are divides in both caucuses, right? Um, what makes this one a little more entertaining uh, and, and hard to turn away from both from the leadership perspective, having to manage it and all of us who are just watching is on the Democratic side, the divide is ideological. You know, if you put someone like an AOC on the farthest side of the party, it, it's what there's certainly age and social media and all that type of stuff. What really drives the divide and that, that caucus is she's so far to the left on a lot of public policy issues. And so that debate plays out socialism versus capitalism, all that stuff. This divide is just like crazy versus not crazy. Like, do you go on the internet and believe just stuff that is totally, uh, demonstrably false, you know, that 9-11 didn't happen, all that stuff. That is a much bigger divide, uh, cultural divide. And I think that's a real headache for Republican leadership, which we saw play out this week. Um, Does it impact the prospects of the Republican Party uh, in the next election or going forward? That I really don't know, because despite all of this that's, that's happening, Liz Cheney kept her leadership position. Uh, they deferred on, uh, the Congresswoman from Georgia, keeping her committee seats. And then the Democrats did the, did the job for them. Uh, I don't know if this changes sort of the fundamental politics of the Republican party. I think they're just working through all this stuff, but in two years, it's not going to, I don't think have a material impact on their prospects in the midterm elections that will be decided by the state of the economy and how we've recovered from the pandemic. And that, that will really dictate all of it. Caitlin. Yeah. I think the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff was a sideshow. I think what's, what's much more, um, stands out in my mind is the the power of the secret ballot with the Liz Cheney vote. I paid much, much closer attention to that. The fact that only 61 Republicans um, wanted to strip her of her leadership role. And it makes me think, you know, as it comes to, we've been hearing for the past couple of years, the murmuring amongst many House Republicans that they won't publicly come out against President Trump and they, you know, go on Fox News and say one thing, but then at the end of the day, they vote to to keep Liz Cheney as conference chair in Republican leadership. Um, I think a lot of America is, I know, I know the national news media is very focused on Marjorie Taylor Greene. And look, the woman is clearly 
a bit of a nut job. How she won that seat overwhelmingly in Georgia and we lost two Senate seats. Uh, I'm still scratching my my head around, but she it's she's she's one of hundreds of members of the House. Um, she, you know, is I, I think that was a little bit of a sideshow. I was much closely following the um engagement around Liz Cheney and the fact that she overwhelmingly held on to that leadership seat. Mark, explain, ex- answer well, Caitlin's I, question now. I know I you're going answer, to. Right. I, I can answer all of the above. So, Caitlin, <laughs> you won the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's QAnon seat. It's a QAnon designated seat. On November 3rd, you lost the Senate runoffs, plural, both of them, on January 5th. And that happened because your former president between November 3rd and January 5th declared war on the United States. And that blew up the party in Georgia as we painfully saw with his calls to the secretary of state and and others. And I think that enabled Democrats to unite and to squeak by. Neither was a uh, was a landslide. So so that that period of time did answers a lot of these questions. Uh, I believe there there is a divide. There, there was a fault line uh, between the election and the insurrection. Something happened in the Republican Party where people had to choose sides. Secret ballot would have been a very different uh, result, I think, on on a lot of the decisions. But what I what I think we have to do is take a step back from the uh, from the focus. We sort of have the telescope going the wrong way, Howard. We're looking into the fat end and seeing out of the, the skinny end. The division. Mark, I know you stole that from somewhere. The that is I, not a Mark Alderman original. I've used it before. I didn't steal it today. I, okay. I'm sure I. Yeah, I'm sure I stole it sometime. Just keeping you honest. But you can. Everybody's welcome to it. It's now. It's now public. I like it. Uh, you, it's different everywhere you look. Is is the point I'm trying to make? The House mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. fractured in a bunch of different ways. The Senate is fractured in different ways and maybe less fractured, frankly, than the House. You go out to the actions being taken by the Republican parties in various states, Arizona and elsewhere, and there, there ain't no fracture. There is still a, a strong and to me, unfortunately, uh, surprising support uh, for Trump. And if you were, if you stood with him in in the big lie that the election was stolen, then you're welcome. And if you didn't, you are unwelcome in the Republican Party in a lot of places. So I'm I'm not sure it's one size fits all when we talk about the the fracture. Yeah, I, I mean I don't think it has any fracture from a policy point of view. Patrick, you and I were talking about that this morning. It's, I don't think any of this translates into a different stance on policy issues, but it does have implications for the future of the Republican Party because the fault line here is 
truth versus falsity. It's, I mean, that's the fault line. Liz yeah. Cheney, well, Liz Cheney was telling, you know, was she was carrying the mantle of her father and, and normal thinking, truth telling conservative Republicans. And she, it was a, that was a vote of, of conscience and, well, and of fidelity to the constitutional oath she swore when she took office. It, it, it's and that the president it. swore when he took office, the former president. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame that one of the two major parties is having an argument over whether it believes in telling the truth or not. Yeah, but Howard, you're right. I mean, when it comes to policy... It, it it really won't have an impact. And, you know, when you're the opposition party, you get to defer on some of these policy disagreements because your policy position is being united as the opposition party. So once this impeachment trials in their rearview mirror, once the kind of growing pains of some of these new members coming in and the fascination with with some of these new characters subsides a little bit, you're going to have the Republican Party united against Joe Biden and the Democratic majorities in Congress and their agenda, not on every single little thing, but uh, but, we're already but, seeing that. but yeah, yeah, but but, but on the are, on the big stuff, there are going to be implications. So I had a congressman. Uh, uh, I won't throw him under the bus, other than to say a congressman from Florida, tell me this morning that there are already implications that that are playing out along this fault line. He's looking for Republican co-sponsors for a bill he wants to introduce in the House, and he won't ask anyone who voted against the Electoral College count. So th that line is gonna, is gonna mean things going forward. Whether it gets diluted uh, uh, along the way, as Republicans consolidate as the loyal or disloyal opposition, uh, we'll see. But, but I think it was a much bigger deal, a much bigger deal than than just uh, something that happened and and people are going to get over. If you, had, you. if you hadn't said the thing about the Constitution, uh, I would have thought for sure you and Matt Gates were having a conversation at the place you guys go to get your hair done. I would have thought for <laughs> sure this was this was a chit chat at the salon. <laughs> I haven't been out of the house in a year, Patrick. <laughs> I don't know what you're I got to tell you, it's it is appalling that one month ago tomorrow we had an attack on the U.S. Capitol and life just goes on as normal. It's appalling. And if, if that had been an attack by a bunch of people from a foreign country, we would literally be at war right now. We would literally be, we would have troops in a foreign country. We would literally be at war. And it's, it's appalling the, the way that the, some of the Republicans want to turn the other cheek and just move on, just move on with life. This needs to be reckoned with. And look, I think my view is Trump's out of power. I think his influence will wane over, over time. He doesn't have the megaphone right now, but I, I think his future influence is overstated. And I think the Republicans do 
kind of move away from it, but like we just we can't afford to just gloss over what's gone on here. And I feel like I feel well, like we are. Howard, you mentioned uh, if this had been a foreign adversary. I mean, think back to how different this is than when the Capitol was attacked on 9-11. You had all the members of Congress come out. They were united, singing God bless America together. There was that feel of unity. You talk to our friends on the Hill, as we all do every day right now, in the aftermath of what happened. You've got members still yelling at each other about not wearing masks. You, you, there, It is so hot and tense there right now. Uh, particularly in the midst of the vote to certify um, the impeachment trial coming up, it doesn't feel uh, divided or united at all. And that I think is, is just a tragedy and shows just in what 20 years, how much more divided uh, the country's become. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is just good old fashioned politics. They're looking ahead to the next, I mean, I think all of it is good old fashioned politics and kind of looking ahead, but well, I don't to, your, know. to your point, Howard, that it is important to remember the the treason that took place on January 5th. That's why this impeachment trial is actually, I believe, extraordinarily necessary and important. We all know what's going to happen. We all know there is not going to be a vote to convict. But the opportunity, the the responsibility to to make the record, to make a public record of what happened is what the trial is to me. And I think that that is, is very necessary and, and proper. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see how long the memory lasts uh, of that. But I mean, look, but, yeah. Caitlin, I work for George W. Bush and Barack Obama. You are a Republican. You know what? I just I have a hard time. I have a hard time reconciling what's right with what's going on on the right. And I'm not asking you to defend it because I know you won't. Um, but I, like it, it just it's until unless and until the Republican Party agrees to come over to the side of truth versus falsehoods this is they're in a lot of trouble from a long-term point of view well they did this week right i mean most of them overwhelmingly supported keeping liz cheney in leadership even Fair. if they're politically posturing in other ways um mcconnell had a great speech about marjorie taylor green and this q QAnon craziness and the need to you know elect people that believe in truth and that know what they're talking about. Um, I, I, I'm seeing that. And I, you know, just take a kind of a slight disagreement about glossing over. I, I, I think that there's a, there's a lot. Yes, Patrick, you're absolutely right. There's it, Congress right now is like a microcosm of the rest of the United States. Things are heated. People are angry. People are disenfranchised. People are out of work and frustrated. And it's it's a powder keg, and I, I I hear you on that. I personally do differentiate between some of the members that spoke on the stage that day and said, "Let's go to the Capitol," versus just you know at the hundred and 
40X that voted against certification. I think there's varying levels. I do get concerned when I see Democrats saying, I will not co-sponsor a bill with one of these 140 plus Republicans. I think that, you know, isn't the solution and isn't the answer, but it's, but it's tough. I, 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 I hear you. On what basis did any one of those 140 Republicans vote against certifying the Electoral College vote other than the lie that the election was stolen? On what basis did any one of them make that vote? I think you have to accept, speaking of truth here, you just have to accept the truth that whatever their motivations, they were scared of Trump or or whatever, they believed they they voted on the basis of a lie. Well, and, and Eric Cantor actually had a really great op-ed. I don't great know if you op-ed. were able to catch it this week, and I believe it was the Washington Post about yep. the rise of populism in the Republican Party. And John Boehner also came out and tweeted something about, you know, even with the Tea Party movement and, and in 2010, this whole idea of it's going to be easy to repeal the Affordable Care Act. It's going to be like what's possible versus the rhetoric. And and I, I hear you, Mark. I, I hear you on all of that. I highly recommend a read of the Cantor op-ed for those great. that haven't. It was great. I look forward to reading it. And I'm not picking on you, Caitlin. I'm just keeping, I'm, I'm trying to be true to Howard's theme of truth. 11 members of the Republican caucus voted to strip uh, oh. the nut of her committee assignments. 67 members voted to strip Liz Cheney of her leadership. It, so I I just d- disagree with your characterization that more people supported supported Cheney than I mean look that the 140 members that voted against certification did it because they thought it was better for them in terms of their future elections and they cared more about themselves than they did about the country and that's that's the bottom line I mean, that's what that was. We, we all, everybody knows it. It wasn't anybody right thinking person knows that the election wasn't stolen and plenty of Republicans came out and said, we have to accept the results. They're, they're legitimate. It's just, it's also disturbing. And I feel like even with impeachment, we all, I don't know, we're like everybody, every one of us, even the, the Democrats in Congress that are, screaming it from from the chamber I, I still feel like we're all too complacent about what just happened in the united states capitol and it scares me and it's bothersome yeah and look at how people are responding what is popping up all over the country as a response to uh the last month of activity is more attempts in states to restrict access to voting uh more uh tactics to suppress the vote so, you know, Caitlin mentioned the word disenfranchisement. I mean, look at the people who are going to be more disenfranchised than they already are because of what's going to come out of this. The people we're talking about on the right, these people are just alienated from normal society. They, they, are, uh, <laughs> they are perfectly well represented in our government. They just aren't uh, in touch with reality. And so now you're going to see, I mean, that's what scares me is looking at well, all these states that are passing these types of laws, that, that is just a tragic yeah, response to. Let, since this isn't really happy 
hour talk, <laughs> even though I'm the one that took Come us. Come on, guys, it's happy hour. Right, it's this happy. is getting dark. This is it's like what dark. happens after three or four or five drinks. Yeah, that's right. Let's let's pivot now because Mark, you weren't with us last week, but we talked about. I certainly mentioned that I'm impressed by how quickly the the Biden administration has moved from campaign mode into governing at a much faster clip than any other administration either side of the aisle that I was ever on saw from the inside. And you and I have been on the phone with clients all week, and there's a theme that keeps coming up in our conversations, which is, is it, is it more important to talk? Who's more influential, the White House or the agencies? Obviously, many, many the vast majority of issues are quote-unquote agency decisions, and we're talking to clients and prospective clients about which matters more, influencing the White House or influencing the agency or talking to the agency? So, Mark, I'm going to give you the first word, not the last word. Uh, tell, tell us which is more important and why. Well, they're both important, of course. But I think that in this administration in particular, the White House is going to be first among equals or first between equals for a couple of reasons. One is everything is a question of compared to what? Compared to the prior administration, this White House is going to be much more organized, much more focused, and much more in control of the agenda. Secondly, I Mark, think- that's the, a low bar, but go ahead. I, and I managed to clear the bar without even mentioning Caitlin. I didn't drag her into that. Hey, I love this whole on message all day long. It makes <laughs> it so much easier to do our jobs. Yeah, yeah Caitlin agrees. Exactly. Secondly, secondly, I only have three reasons, so bear with me. That was one. Secondly, the people who have come in have done this before, and they know how to govern. It's last week's podcast, which I did have an opportunity to listen to. Thank you. And and they are going to set up an organized government with chain of command. And the org chart is going to matter much, much more, not only in comparison to the last administration, but because they they have experience in, in governing and and have an agenda. Uh, that they intend to implement. Lastly, though, Howard, and this was our last call on that topic uh, that, that you and Patrick and I just finished, COVID. COVID is going to be the tip of the spear on, on this because COVID is going to be run out of the White House. Secondly, climate is going to be run out of the White House. And those two uh, issues touch everything. So the agencies matter. The ag ideas may begin and end in the agencies, but they're going to go through the White House in between. I mean, look, I don't disagree with that. The White House is the White House. It's the administration. They set the tone. It's, but as I often say, you, you know, you most of the issues that get decided are decided below the level of the headlines. And even in terms of how you execute those big picture on those big picture issues, the particular decisions, 
are very nuanced and they're not things that the white house necessarily wades into. So, so take, it, it, it depends on the issue because I mean, on climate, and I, I do think some of this has changed over time. I, on climate, you're right, Mark. I mean, there are things where that's an issue where if the White House doesn't want the federal finance agencies to finance overseas fossil fuel power projects anymore, like my former agency, the Exim Bank does, and, and the, the DFC, um, another agency does, that's going to be top down and then the agency will figure out how to execute it, execute on the, on the promise. But so much of the blocking and tackling of government is small stuff that we work on every day that happens in the agencies that the white houses can influence if you go and talk to them about it, but they, in the ordinary course, they, they wouldn't, it's, it's a mix. It's a mix. Patrick, you've seen this from from the inside and the outside. Yeah, your- I, I like I, you know, I I kind of agree with both of you guys. I mean, I definitely agree with Mark everything Mark laid out in terms of, you know, if you compare it to the last administration, certainly. I mean, it, it, not even so much the organization, but just the level of experience of people there. I mean, we've talked about some previous podcasts. The guys and gals around Joe Biden have been waiting decades for this moment. They they have uh, so much combined experience in government. And he's also put a bunch of people that were cabinet level in previous administrations in his West Wing. So, and just from what I saw in the last Democratic administration, the White House was very, very focused on kind of controlling things. But but you're right too, Howard. I, I think a lot will be decided at the agency level. It, it depends on the agency. It depends on the issue. We may have lost Howard here, so this is our chance to uh, to contradict him. But yeah. I'm going to just I'm going to just push on. Look at EPA, for example, Patrick and Caitlin. Yeah. Uh, with no disrespect intended to the incoming administrator, whom everyone reports is a great guy and a great public servant. Yeah. Uh, Gina McCarthy is going to be running EPA. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Period. Period. And, and he's not doing a thing without calling her. That's Period. right. Now there, and that's because that's the way the president set it up. That's right. I, Mark, That that is a really good example because I totally agree with that. Um, that one thing I was I, here to hear my good example. I'm, I'm yeah. here. I totally disagree. Well, <laughs> one thing I was going to say. One thing I was going to say is on the at where the agencies are going to have a lot of authority because there's only so much time and oxygen in the White House. Um, the agencies, there is so much that they want to fix from the Trump years, things that m- never even got reported. Um, and so I do think there's going to be a high degree of agency focus on looking to see where the Trump administration went in a completely different direction and trying to fix that as quickly as possible. And not every single little tiny thing is going to make it up to the White House, or if it does, it's not going to be dissected and micromanaged at the White House level because they're not going to have time. They're managing the pandemic. They have huge, huge issues to go after. So I would look, and Howard, this is 
very much your area of expertise, but I would just, I was offering that to agree with you is maybe that would be an area where the agencies are going to have sort of outsized influence. Mark, I think, first of all, there's plenty of stuff that Trump did that Biden is a gift in Biden's lap. China policy, for example. And by the way, some of his environmental policy, there's stuff, not, not climate, obviously, um, but there, there are things and things we've been working on that are Biden's going to pick up right where Trump left off. Super fun cleanups. Trump was actually aggressive, more aggressive than the Obama administration on some of the big super fund sites and, and site cleanups. Um, so not everything changes, but Gina McCarthy isn't going to run the EPA for purposes of uh, of those things. It's, it's going to be the EPA running the EPA. Like most of that stuff is just doesn't get to that level doesn't get to a White House level. And the agency doesn't pick up the phone and check with the White House on every decision. That's just not, the agency is the White House on some level. You know, the people sitting atop these agencies are presidential appointees. They have a charter to follow. They have Congress, they they work for the president. They serve at the pleasure of the president. But the practical reality is, and I know this has changed over the years, but of course, it's a combination, but the vast majority of issues don't bubble up to a White House level because they're not big enough. Well, we can agree to disagree. And since we will be in the agencies and in the White House for our clients, <laughs> we can revisit this periodically and confirm that I got it right. Sounds good. I look forward to <laughs> confirming that you got it right. Every issue is going to be signed off on by Joe Biden, but but especially anything with climate and anything with COVID, the I I think you're wrong. I think the administrator at EPA is going to pick up the phone and call Gina McCarthy on anything that matters. I don't think she's going to be conducting the 8 a.m. staff meeting. But there is going to be a coordinated effort on certain issues, COVID, climate, that, that, we have, that we certainly didn't see the last four years. You know, this wasn't on our list to talk about, but you gave me a thought, which is I have never seen a feeding frenzy like I've seen in Clinton, in Bush, in Obama, in Trump. I've never seen so many people just tripping all over themselves to go into the administration, to go into an administration. And look, we're spending a lot of time talking to people who are interested in going in, trying to network their way in, want to understand the dynamics. Patrick, you have a zillion friends that have gone in and are looking to go into the administration. Why? Why do you well, think that is? Well, it makes me feel good that that they are. Um, I, I'm glad it, you feel good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> someone's got to feel good. Yeah, uh, it is happy hour. Keep drinking yeah, that beer, Patrick. Exactly. No, I, I, um, yeah, you know, to your point. I mean, I, I am finding out every day that 
uh, people I worked with or spent time with are, are not only going into the administration, but are eager to go in. Um, they are, I, I think they feel a real sense of, um, the people I talk to who feel the most sense of duty are the people, um, particularly who worked in healthcare, who served in the last administration and saw over the last four years, a coordinated attempt to undo everything they had spent eight years, uh, and many longer trying to do. And I think they will jump at the opportunity to get back into the administration, uh, to try and roll some of that back. But, um, yeah, I, listen, I just I think it's a good sign that amidst all of this turmoil that there are still people who find uh, value and satisfaction from public service. Mark, what do you why do you think well, I, you I, also know? Yeah. I mean, we all know a lot of people that are yeah, going in. I think a lot of it is what Patrick said. A lot of it is 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 selfless and public service oriented. I think part of it with some people that, that I know and, and have talked to, uh, a number of these people thought they were going to do this four years ago, and they've been waiting. <laughs> they've been waiting for their turn. So it, it isn't as though people are flocking to Washington from all over the country who have been leading different lives and are suddenly inspired by the Biden-Harris uh, team to come work for their government. It, it's, it's people who, who had these jobs once upon a time. It's people who thought they were getting these jobs four years ago. And it, it is... Uh, it is both public service oriented and and career driven. I think it's Trump. I think oh, it's a sure. conti- continuing reaction to where we've been and sure. their, their uh, dissatisfaction with where we've been. I think it's I think it's that. And really, in the first instance, I think it's more reaction to to Donald J. Trump. And yeah. That, Howard, that's a really good point because, you know, in 2008, 2009, there were particularly young people. There was just an incredible amount of enthusiasm to go work for Barack Obama. I don't think that that is necessarily the case now with everyone, but with a lot of people with, you know, I don't think young people are like moved at the idea of working for Joe Biden. I do specifically, I, I do think they are moved by the idea of helping the country after a very difficult four-year period. So I, I totally agree with that. Joe yeah. Biden seems a lot more exciting after uh, four years of what we just had. <laughs> he seems um, like we don't have to think about him 24-7. And, but Caitlin, I do think that over time, some of this will will normalize and I think some of this normalizes. And when do you think we get to a point where this administration, it's right now, I feel like, okay, I said last week, I think they're doing a good job, but I feel like they're getting a free pass on, on kind of everything. When do you think, do you agree? When do you think that ends? I do agree that, you know, the, the, the media was, uh, there was a lot of celebration and this return to normalcy. Heck, we, ce- you know, we celebrated that as well. I think some of, uh, I've, I've been pleased to see some of the, um, you know, putting a, a more 
cl- taking a more a closer look this week, as we were talking about the agencies and the White House and the juxtaposition there, I was thinking about the CDC director coming out this week and and speaking to reporters and saying that you know schools should be reopening and the guidance that that they're shortly going to be putting out is that we don't necessarily need to wait until every teacher is vaccinated for schools to reopen. And then the quick pivot from the White House saying, no, 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 that's that's not what we mean. That's not what we're saying. Um, and and I, I, I do think that you're, you know, there's folks are folks, the honey, there was a honeymoon period. And, and just like any administration, the tough questions need to be asked and reporters are there to, you know, hold our elected officials to account. Um, but it, it was it was good to see this week that, you know, reporters are continuing to ask these questions and, and hold folks to account when when we're seeing uh, a difference from the head of the CDC versus the White House, for example. They need to be asked tough questions because look, no governing is really hard. No administration is perfect. I think. Look, I, I think that the, the Republican members we talk to. They're just as happy. I don't care how they vote. I mean, I care a lot how they vote, but they're they're just as happy to see Trump the hell out of town as anybody else. Mitch McConnell, good riddance to Trump. Like, I'm he is thrilled. I I guarantee you he is thrilled that that Trump is gone and he doesn't have to deal with the, you know, what tweet happened and he knows what to expect and and he doesn't have to pivot every 15 seconds. I think that nobody would admit that just like after TARP and all the members voted against TARP, I'd go to visit them in their offices and they all, they all would thank me profusely. Just tell me not to quote them on it. Um, You know, it's, that's the way this town works and, and that's fine. But um, I, I do think the bloom needs to come off the rose a little bit here. And, and this administration needs to be held to account for the decisions it makes. And I guess that'll happen. I don't have a ton of faith in the media asking, asking necessarily the tough questions. We'll see. Well, we'll see. I think the administration is going to be held to account by the American people on COVID. Apart from the media, I think that I've said this before on this podcast, I think that the success or failure of this administration rises and falls on management of the pandemic. And I think that the administration will be held to account before two years mm-hmm. if, if we can't get out of this thing. That was the most fundamental promise that Joe Biden made to the people who, who voted for him made it to the people who didn't vote for him, as he's always reminding us. And and I think there will be uh, an accounting. I I think we're I think we're gonna be okay on that. He's he's gonna hit a hundred million vaccines in a hundred days. And you think we're gonna be okay because you the arc of the virus having nothing to do with Joe Biden's probably gonna be okay because the vaccines are out there and that's what you're hoping. And then, yeah, but and, will he? Will the promise of the first hundred days getting our K through twelve kids back to school? Will they meet that promise? I, will the goalposts continue to keep moving? Will they stay on message or have a clear message? That's what the American people are questioning yeah. and taking a deep look at. 
I think like with most crisis there, he's going to have a little runway, right? Like I, I think everyone, we've been in this for so long now that pe- people are fed up with COVID and looking to get back to their normal lives. But I don't think they'll start blaming him uh, for a little bit. You know, I, I think he's got some time and there probably will be some goalposts moving, but it will be a fascinating political exercise to see how everyone's feeling in 2022 as you enter a midterm election, the first one of his presidency. If we're on the other side of this and life has resumed uh, back to somewhat normalcy, I can't think that is terrible for him politically. And some to Howard, to your point, sometimes politics is just about luck and timing. Uh, Joe Biden had some unlucky attempts uh, at, at political fortune in the past and everything kind of united for him in, in 2020. You know, maybe he's got a little more luck of the Irish in him. Well, speaking of luck, timing and goalposts, let's make some Super Bowl predictions. Mark. The Bucks. Caitlin, start with you. Caitlin. Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin went first. Oh, I'm just being a bandwagon uh, fan. Go Bucks. Yeah, right. well, Caitlin's a Floridian, so you're loyal to your state. That's fair enough. Patrick and I are going with Kansas City. <laughs> is this You're Kansas speak- City, Kansas? <laughs> yeah, uh, it is actually Kansas City, Missouri, but but thank you for the question. I'm doing it for a different reason than Patrick, though. Patrick actually thinks they're the better football team. I'm rooting for their coach. I, I didn't have much use for Andy Reid till he left. But now that he's not our coach in Philadelphia, I want him to get his second rank. Yeah, I, 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 listen, I, it's been an awesome, awesome season with incredible storylines. And it's been the one just getting to watch NFL football has been a, a, a blessing in the midst of this pandemic. But yeah, it's just hard for me to, uh, to go against the Chiefs. They're just so, so good. Um, so I'm going as to usual, give Tom Brady another Super Bowl ring. <laughs> as usual, I'll, as usual, I'll be more analytical than the three of you. Uh, well, Tom first Brady of all, went to Michigan. Tom, so they're first of win. all, Tom Brady went <laughs> to Michigan. <laughs> first of all, he went to Michigan. But 27-24 in week 11-10, the Chiefs beat the Bucks. The Bucks O-line, the Chiefs O-line rather is banged up. Their best offensive linemen are out. Uh, the Bucks have a great defense, and the Chiefs have underperformed the spread big time over the latter half of the season. So they're underperforming expectations. So I'm going Bucks. Right. Well, I just want to be clear that that is the more intelligent analysis and the most intelligent among the four of us. But it's also utterly irrelevant to your picking the bucks because all of that could be false and there isn't any chance you're you're rooting against Tom Brady. That's true. Best there football player of all time. There you go. That is I true. I want to know who Jake is rooting for. Jake is rooting for the uh, Chiefs. Okay. And I, I pointed out to him that he named his dog after Tom Brady and he's practicing a little revisionist history and claiming it. that he didn't. So... Good go, Jake. Yeah, Jake's Jake's, Jake's all good... in for the Chiefs. All so, right. There we have it. Well, we'll we'll size up our Super Bowl predictions uh next week and we'll we will be back with more. Patrick, Caitlin, Mark, happy Friday, TGIF. Happy Friday. <laughs> TGIF. And uh thanks happy for joining Friday. us, everybody.
You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.